the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Well, we're up to part six in our new series that kicked off 2023, Our Faith, What Will Others See in 2023? journeying through this new year, my hope has been and continues to be we'll discover natural and creative ways to reach out to people in our circles of relationships so that they get to see our faith. In other words, in our everyday lives and routines, they'll see Jesus in us. And if you missed any previous teachings, you can find the podcasts at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. Well, friends, today in part six, we'll home in on letting God's grace flow through us. And I'll begin with a true incident that occurred one night in 1958 when a young Korean exchange student who was a leader in Christian student affairs at the University of Pennsylvania left his apartment to walk to the corner mailbox to send a letter to his parents back in South Korea. On the way back from the mailbox, he was confronted by 11 leather-jacketed teen boys. Without a word, they attacked him, beat him with a blackjack and a lead pipe, kicked him forcefully, and punched him madly. Sad to say, later that night, the police found his dead body in a nearby gutter. Well, friends, all Philadelphia cried out for vengeance. Even the district attorney obtained legal authority to try these teens as adults so that the specific ones found guilty could be given the death penalty. Hmm... But in the midst of this mayhem and tragedy, a letter arrived from Korea that made everyone stop and think. The letter was signed by the murdered student's parents, plus 20 other relatives. It said in part, Our family has met together, and we have decided to petition that the most generous treatment possible within the laws of your government be given to those who have committed this criminal action. In order to give evidence of our sincere hope embodied in this petition, we have decided to save money and start a fund to be used for the religious, educational, vocational, and social guidance of these boys when they're released. We have dared to express our hope with a spirit received from the gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. 
Wow! Now, friends, there's a family that had an eternal perspective on life. So much so, they were willing and ready to invest resources, hoping that eleven eternal souls might see their faith in action and experience the gospel lived out. And despite this heinous act against their son, they chose to be loving channels and dispense grace. You see, friends, grace is actually love in action. And did you notice that grace doesn't extinguish or nullify justice? The slain boy's family in Korea still expected justice to be carried out, but they asked that justice be tempered by generosity. That's because, friends, ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. Each week we've rehearsed this four-pronged ministry mantra. My hope is we're gaining deeper insights into its individual words and phrases, drawing out its valuable spiritual truths. In our first three sessions, we saw how Jesus, Philip, and the Good Samaritan made themselves available as loving channels so that divine resources could meet human needs. With Jesus, he intentionally made contact with the Samaritan woman. It wasn't a geographical necessity to go through Samaria. It was a spiritual necessity. With Philip, he was interrupted by the Holy Spirit and dispatched to engage the Ethiopian while on a journey to Jerusalem in his chariot. Regarding the Good Samaritan, he experienced was coincidental, or better yet, God-incidental. In other words, during his normal travels, he came face to face with a person in need. Now, friends, isn't this how the Lord often works in our own lives today? I can certainly testify, I'll bet many of you can too, of times we intentionally made contact with someone for the purpose of bringing an encouraging word or planting a seed related to the gospel. And haven't there been times when the Holy Spirit interrupted our usual routines in order to speak or act kindly to benefit another person? And thirdly, friends, sometimes in the midst of our own planned out daily activities, a coincidental event just happens to bring us face to face with a person or situation where we have opportunity to meet a need. It's amazing how God engineers circumstances and orchestrates a time sequence for events. In part two, I quoted Johnny Erickson Tata, worth repeating. God arranges for natural events to occur at specific times to further his ends. Then in the last two installments, we zeroed in on some key words. In part four, we unpacked the word love in the phrase through loving channels. We dug deeper into the New Testament meaning and behavior of agape love. I pointed out that agape love must be the driving force behind everything we do and added that there'd be no genuine anticipation of God using us if we didn't realize God desires to love people through us. And last time in part five, we focused on the word divine because we must remember that it's divine resources that meet human needs. It was there we took a closer look at Jesus' miracle of feeding the 5,000 from Matthew 14. I also pointed out that this event is found in all four Gospels and the benefit of reading them all to see what other tidbits are there to find. For instance, John's account gave us the addition of Philip's complaint to Jesus about how much wages it would take to buy bread for the large crowd. And also Andrew's remark, 
How far will five small barley loaves and two small fishes go among so many? Friends, Philip and Andrew represented the mindset of the first century disciples, but don't they also represent us as 21st century disciples who need to be constantly reminded that we're not manufacturers, we're distributors of divine resources. And it's not human resources that meet human needs, but divine resources that meet human needs. Well, today in part six, I want to be absolutely certain we understand as Christ followers just what it is we're bringing to people when we operate as loving channels so that divine resources can meet human needs. So I'll focus on this second phrase, meets human needs. Because, friends, we can so easily operate with the mistaken idea that we're simply supplying material resources to people, that we're simply providing money, food, or goods, or whatever the emergency situation requires at the time. Well, I'll be remiss if I allowed us all to go on thinking that, because we'd then do ourselves as Christ followers a disservice, and we'd do the scriptures a great disservice. You see, friends, we Christians are not just humanitarians. Now, don't get me wrong. Humanitarian efforts should be part and parcel of our lives as believers who love the world of people just as God loves the world of people. After all, this is stitched into our ministry mantra, isn't it? Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. Did you hear me, friends? Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. You see, last time I asked if we saw ourselves as laborers in God's harvest field. Well, today I'm going to ask us, do we see ourselves as ministers? Friends, do we see ourselves as ministers, ministering to the people that God brings across our path? Every morning when we wake up and look at our face in the mirror, do we immediately see ourselves as ministers? And every time we set foot outside our door, do we as ministers see ourselves as potential loving channels through whom divine resources may meet a human need to the glory of God? Are we excited about and do we anticipate the possibility that the Lord may orchestrate or engineer circumstances where we can display our faith in both word and deed? Friends, I can see why we wouldn't picture ourselves that way if we only thought our role as Christians was to merely distribute goods to others in need. That mentality is actually a deception of the devil, because we're not just distributors of goods. We are distributors of grace. Jesus brought grace to the despised Samaritan woman at the well. Philip the evangelist brought grace to the Ethiopian eunuch sitting on his chariot. And the good Samaritan brought grace to the man on the side of the road, beaten and left for dead. And when we love others with the love of God, we bring grace to them. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15:10, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not without effect, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. 
Another translation for grace could be kindness, because grace or favor is often understood to mean kindness, graciousness, favor, and even benefit. It carries with it the idea that actions are done joyfully, since the word's root means joy. In secular classical Greek usage, grace carried the additional meanings of charm and attractiveness. So, the New Testament writers, and particularly Paul, infused this word with a peculiar Christian meaning and usage. Once again, here's an example of the New Testament writers reaching into their cultural toolbox and pulling out a word or concept, and under the Spirit's inspiration, elevating it and infusing it with a loftier meaning to connect it to the gospel. Friends, sadly, many Christians have a very narrow or restricted conception of God's grace, usually and almost exclusively associated with salvation. When asked to define grace, many Christians regurgitate a pat answer like, Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, or grace is God's unmerited favor towards sinners. One formal definition with the unmerited idea comes from the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology. Grace is the undeserved blessing freely bestowed on humans by God. Another is from the Beacon Dictionary of Theology. Grace is God's spontaneous, though unmerited, love for sinful humanity, supremely revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, those somewhat technical definitions don't really help out much, do they? We often cavalierly say unmerited, but what does unmerited mean? Friends, we almost always connect this word and concept to our New Testament, but listen to a reference to grace or unmerited favor from Exodus chapter 33, verse 13. It's part of a conversation between Moses and God. And here this Hebrew word for grace carries the sense of undeserved or unearned favor. This is Moses talking. Now therefore I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. In addition to Exodus, two important prophetic books emphasize the truth that God is the one who, by his grace, enables his people to respond to him, and he, in turn, then blesses their faithfulness. Consult Ezekiel chapter 36 and Isaiah chapters 49 through 51 and 54. Some of Ezekiel's words are significant. At least twice his prophecy contains the word but. I'd like to highlight one of them. Chapter 36, verses 8 and 9. But you, mountains of Israel, will produce branches and fruit for my people, Israel. For behold, I am for you. Ding, ding, ding. Perhaps Ezekiel's words here were the inspiration behind the Apostle Paul's words in Romans eight thirty-one and 32. Then Ezekiel continues, I am for you and will look on you with favor. 
You see, friends, the key to understanding the essence of grace is that although we deserve God's being against us, he's actually for us. Sometimes our definition of grace is too static, too sterile. God's grace is very dynamic. I said earlier that grace is God's love in action. Friends, I believe that for us, extending God's love to others as loving channels is, in effect, extending or distributing God's grace. Well, let's pause here for a moment, friends. If you tuned in late, you're listening to A Word from the Word with me, your host, Pastor Tom. I want you to know how valuable you are as listeners to A Word from the Word, which is 100% listener-supported. Your financial partnership keeps this program on the air, which disciples many Christians without a church home, plus those of you who may have been wounded by the institutional church. Join forces with me and A Word from the Word by emailing me for support details at a word from the word at minister.com. We'll repeat this information at the end of the program. So, friends, it's truly grace that sets Christianity apart from mere humanitarian efforts. You see, both Christian ministry and humanitarian efforts can be done in love. And both Christian ministry and humanitarian efforts can meet human needs by distributing food, clothing, money, etc. But only, and listen to me carefully, friends, only Christian ministry can bring grace. And distributing grace is not limited to non-Christians. We are to distribute grace to our brothers and sisters as well. While Ephesians 4.29 prohibits unkind speaking, we must not overlook the distribution of grace. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And Colossians 4, 5, and 6 provide the benchmark for non-believers. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, non-Christians, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, notice that was spoken of Jesus. His disciples beheld Jesus' glory and saw that he was full of grace and truth. He had the perfect balance of grace and truth. Wouldn't you like that said about you? What if that was the reputation you had? He's full of grace and truth, or she's full of grace and truth. Then John 1.17 says, Grace and truth came through, or were realized through, Jesus Christ. Friends, this certainly is not implying that God had never extended grace before in the whole Hebrew Scriptures, our Old Testament, as we saw he did. The word realized here in verse 17 implies through its meaning that grace and truth were brought closer to our senses. Grace and truth came into being or were published or broadcast through Jesus Christ. Grace in scripture at a minimum may be seen to have two primary prongs. First, saving grace 
and second, living grace. In other words, the grace to live daily the way God wants us to. I propose all other biblical or theological understandings of grace can be placed under one of these. Friends, just listen to some of the ways grace is described in Acts in several epistles. These references confirm Peter's description of the manifold grace of God in 1 Peter 4.10 and Paul's phrase, the riches of his grace in Ephesians 2.7. Take Acts 4.33, abundant grace was upon them, the apostles, for witnessing. 2 Corinthians 9.14, and the surpassing grace of God in you, the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 12.9, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, sufficient for Paul when suffering. Hebrews 4.16, where God's throne is referred to as the throne of grace, where we may come to receive mercy and grace to help in our time of need. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, growth in our salvation experience should include growing in the grace of God. James 4.6, but he, God, gives a greater grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor or grace to the humble, quoting Proverbs 3.34. The idea here being that we need living grace for living humbly in the world. So you see, friends, in the end, we can respond to human needs in several ways. And therefore, this becomes our challenge because each way we respond determines whether we are loving channels intent on distributing grace to others. First, we can be blind to others' needs and live our own lives. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 address that way of thinking. Second, we can know about others, but still do nothing. The Good Samaritan story in Luke 10 addresses that way of thinking. Third, we can take advantage of others' needs to benefit ourselves. In other words, we can use people. We can exploit others' needs to gain recognition, position, titles, honors, or privileges. Jesus' description of the Pharisees and Sadducees in Matthew 23, 1-12, and Luke 20, 46-47 address that way of thinking. Someone once said, People were created to be loved. Things were created to be used. The reason the world is in chaos is because things are being loved and people are being used. And fourth, we can seek to meet others' needs. The well-known words of Jesus in Matthew twenty twenty-eight: The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, addresses this way of thinking. So remember, friends, Christian ministry differs from mere humanitarian efforts in that Christian ministry brings grace. Scholar and author Louis B. Smeads had a colorful take on grace. Grace is not a ticket to Fantasy Island. Fantasy Island is dreamy fiction. Grace is not a potion to charm life to our liking. Charms are magic. Grace does not cure all our cancers, transform all our kids into winners, or send us all soaring into the high skies of success. Grace is rather an amazing power to look earthly reality full in the face, see its sad and tragic edges, feel its cruel cuts, join in the primeval chorus against its outrageous unfairness, 
unfairness, and yet feel in your deepest being that it is good and right for you to be alive on God's good green earth. Grace is power, I say, to see life very clearly, admit it's sometimes all wrong, and still know that somehow in the center of your life it's all right. This is one reason we call it amazing grace. Grace is the one word for all that God is for us in the form of Jesus. Louis Castells, former senior editor and religious columnist for UPI, said, If God wants you to do something, he'll make it possible for you to do it. But the grace he provides comes only with the task and cannot be stockpiled beforehand. We are dependent on him from hour to hour, and the greater awareness of this fact, the less likely we'll faint or fail in a crisis. This reminded me of Elizabeth Elliot's words, God does not give us grace for our imaginations. Finally, John R. W. Stott said, Grace is love that cares and stoops and rescues. I'd like to repeat a statement I made in a prior session. When Jesus becomes Lord of our lives, we forfeit forever the right to choose whom we will love. And now I'll add, and to whom we will dispense grace. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're nearing the end of today's program, which will close with an email where you may write me and share your feedback on today's teaching or any previous program you've listened to. And the email you hear shortly is also where you may inquire about financially supporting a word from the word. I love coming alongside you who are without a church home or those of you who may have been wounded by the institutional church. Podcasts are posted at faithtalk1360.com. That's faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts and then scroll to a word from the word. Programs are posted in latest date order. Podcasts can also be found on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. And thanks to my friends and partners at ChristianBody.net, a word from the word is being broadcast to over 70 countries. Friends, I invite you to join our mission and invest in the ministry of a word from the word in 2023 and help us become fully funded. It's listeners like you that keep a word from the word on the air. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.